Dormammu, I've come to bargain. I've come to bargain. You've come to die. Your world is now What is this? Illusion. No, this is real. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. What is happening? Just as you gave Kaecilius powers from your dimension, I brought a little power from mine. This is time. Endless, looped time. Dormammu, <laughs> I've come to bargain. You cannot do this forever. Actually, I can. This is how things are now. You and me, trapped in this moment, endlessly. That was Benedict Cumberbatch as sorcerer superhero Dr. Stephen Strange, facing off against demonic dictator Dormammu in 2016's Doctor Strange. Superheroes aren't the only ones making a good use of a time loop. Hollywood does too. This week, we review Amazon Prime release Palm Springs, one of the latest films in this tradition with a romantic comedy twist. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films, and films are better than people. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Sam. Stop! Make this stop! Set me free! No. I've come to bargain. What do you want? So this week we watched Palm Springs. A little caveat on this film, it was technically uh, released last year on Hulu, which is a relatively minor platform. And to be honest, I'm not even really sure if you could legally watch it in the in the UK here. Uh, but it's just been released on Amazon Prime uh, for free or a, a, as part of their subscription package. So a lot of you will be clicking onto it and seeing it as a new release. And Sam's going to tell you the plot. Niles is stuck in a time loop. Every day he wakes up at the wedding where his girlfriend's best friend is getting married. He can't escape it and now neither can Sarah, the sister of the bride, who inadvertently gets stuck in the loop as well. As the two of them spend eternity together on the same day, they slowly discover more about companionship and life itself. Or, as a haiku, it started again. Love in a time loop? Oh no! It started again. I was really hoping you were going to do that. (laughs) That was going to be my that was going to be my criticism that I was like oh, you should have just done it started again it started <laughs> again it started again. again I don't know whether that's like a compliment or whether I feel like that is too too predictable that that's what the haiku was going to end up being the the other problem is is that now I can if we ever do another time loop movie again I can no longer do that bit of of doing the haiku the first line and the second line I think you're safe they come around very rarely. Um, I think I probably disagree with you on that, but we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> so here's a clip. 
The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. So now what do we do? You just have to embrace the fact that nothing matters. Do you sleep with people in here? Great question. I have, but it takes a lot of work. May I cut in? It's the first dance. And that's a deal breaker? That didn't work. <laughs> Let's waste some time. So, so it's interesting what you said before the clip, because actually I think there's a lot of kind of time loop or Groundhog Day movies that come out. Um, they seem to be happening more and more rapidly. I've been trying to make a list of um, all the ones I could find, because... I see this trope everywhere, and I feel like it doesn't get noticed as much as it should. The fact that this keeps that they that they keep making movies about this. What was the last one before Palm Springs? It would have been the the map of tiny perfect things, which okay. is also a romance that's that's just that, that came out on Amazon um, a couple of months ago. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard about that one. It's like a teen romance, okay, but about two people stuck in a time loop. Um, then later on this year, there's going to be an action movie based off of it with Mel Gibson called Boss Level. And yeah, there's a bunch of them that just seem to pop up. I mean, I guess they do get noticed. That's interesting that they transcend genre. That yeah, they do a lot of the time. There's 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 plenty of like horror ones. There's um, action ones, romance ones. There is like a kind of like a war-ish one that we might get to talk about later. It's funny because it's a relatively versatile idea. And yet at the same time, it does always have like quite familiar patterns and familiar things that the people go through and stuff. Which is kind of why I wasn't really super interested in Palm Springs going into it. I kind of had low expectations because I kind of felt like a comedy about a time loop with a romantic edge was quite like a watchable idea. But I didn't see it as like potentially being anything that interesting. But that's what the trailer makes it look like. I think the trailer makes it look like a, like a pure rom-com. I think maybe with some eccentric parts to it. Yeah. So they get like, from the trailer, it's like, oh, they get up to all sorts of hijinks in this weird, wonderful universe. But there's more depth to it than that. There is um, a lot more because I think it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. But it is a really funny film, but it's also really quite dark in points. Uh, and ultimately, like, a really satisfying, romantic, onatological story. Yeah, I, I I, mean, I just thought this was... I thought this was great. I think it's built on the chemistry between uh, Sarah and Niles. So Niles is played by Andy Samberg, uh, Sarah, by Kristen Milioti. And yeah, I think they do have really good chemistry. They're brilliant. It's it's, it's a fundamental part of a, of a rom-com. Uh, and yeah, they, they work off each other really well. I think sort of like Andy Samberg's created this persona for himself where he's like a little bit goofy but at the same time very charming mm-hmm. um, and she's I guess she's kind of got more angst in going into the film Sarah I mean we learn more about her issues and what's happened to her I think it's, it's kind of more revealing some of the events that have happened in her life and why she's sort of struggling perhaps more every day waking up in the same room in the same hotel you know being a part of the same same day. Why it's more draining for yeah, exactly. the Niles, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the both of them are, are very, very good in it. They are. They both match that slightly irreverent sense of humour, 
uh, really, really well. I agree with you about Andy Samberg. He's not someone I have much love for. I mean, like, some of his skits on Saturday Night Live or, the, or with The Lonely Island are, 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 are good, but I, but I really didn't get what people liked about Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping, which was a kind of mockumentary film he made which people seem to really like but I don't know why it was pretty it was quite lazy and kind of unfunny I think what you would say is that he's one of these actors that's been very successful on television with Brooklyn Nine-Nine yeah he has uh, and obviously uh, Saturday Night Live which was kind of where he um, where he started out as a comedian and when he started doing skits and and yeah that's where I guess he's made his name on United States television I mean he came over here and made a sitcom called Cuckoo so he would be you know I think he would be known to UK audiences yeah, and Bro- Brooklyn Nine-Nine is always on the on, on TV anyway yeah. and on loads of streaming platforms I mean like I don't have like I said I mean I don't have much love for him but here he's perfect because like you say I think his character's quite goofy but I think just in general I think that's something that Sandberg does really well. He can he can do goofy, but he can also do kind of pathetic really well. And I think to an extent, that's kind of what Niles is, or that's certainly where like Niles is uh, at at this point in his life. He also kind of delivers every bit of exposition uh, in the perfect tone. Niles in a is a really good character in general for something like that because I think that's something that a movie like this can kind of trip over. If when they have to explain the nuts and bolts of this, it becomes dull or it becomes confusing. Yeah, it speeds up the narrative. Yeah, yeah. If I think if it slows down the narrative, it could be really a problem. But you're right; it kind of speeds it up. And the way I think he does this is he kind of explains everything with this kind of nihilism of, "Oh, well, you could do that." Oh, is that why he's called Niles? <laughs> Maybe that's we'll, we'll save it for the video essay. Um, that um, there won't be a video essay. Just, just <laughs> he sort of says like stuff like, "Oh, you can do that," but then this happens, or "Yeah, I've tried it, but it's bad." So he's a veteran of the time loop. He's a veteran of the time loop, and he manages to communicate the pointlessness of everything, or why they should just kind of like just learn to have a good time and everything in it really, really well. And like he just fits really well for that. And you're right. I think Miliotti is really great I think she's got this determination at first but she's just got this really wonderful comic timing she presents like a similarly damaged person in a, in a really funny way uh, I think as well like both roles require you to be uh, funny but also like really quite tragic and flipping between those two things is a really difficult thing to do but they both manage it really really well Yeah. Um, and I think that's great I think you're right they're, they're the heart and soul of this so yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a morality tale about people who get stuck in life and feel like they're trapped in the same day. I mean, obviously, Sarah and Oz are literally in the same day, but this is about people who, yeah. Or remind you of anything. Exactly, Any yeah. kind of large world event we might be going through right now. Well, maybe that's why Amazon Prime wanted to distribute it, for <laughs> you know, because, yeah, it is. I mean, people will be able to recognise what's happening to these people. Yeah. I mean, we're, we don't... We're, that's, we're, we're not the first... Uh, critics to, <laughs> to, to, to notice that about this film. I mean, we don't know much about Niles' life pre-loop, but you get the sense that he is someone who is drifting. I mean, he's got no connection with his girlfriend, Misty, who sort of wakes up with every day, which is yeah. Yeah, summarised quite abruptly in the opening. Um, I think also in one scene, he reveals, like, I can't remember what job I had pre-loop because he's lost his memory, but I think he probably does a job that he can barely remember anyway. Yeah, It's, like, it's not important, it doesn't give him purpose, and... He's just sort of existing in life. 
Mm. Oh, that's the sense that I got of his character before he before he entered this this loop. I think that's true. I mean, I think he he has been doing the loop for a very very long time. But he but yeah, there's a sense like he's he's only there because he's the the boyfriend of one of the bridesmaids, and he doesn't really know anyone. So yeah, it's, he he is kind of. Just, just drifting. So he's the perfect person to kind of explore this angle of the time loop with. I think it's about people drifting through life, and it, and it kind of becomes about the importance of like trying to make a commitment and how drifting is ultimately unsatisfying. There's quite a lot of ideas floating around there, but it's also a, a, a kind of the value of of other people and yeah, forming connection, whether it be through love or friendship or however it is. But it's also about the internal issues of relationships. Like, we can't keep doing the same thing. Is it better to be unhappy alone or unhappy together? You know, I think the film touches on that as well. I think it's kind of, kind of quite a good satire on those issues that, that, that partners have together as well. Yeah, that's. I think that's true. The way that they're kind of like stuck together in some ways, even before there is a kind of suggestion of uh, of romance, you know, kind of feels like, yeah, that they, they could be some people that are already in a relationship and stuck in a relationship, there could be a kind of analogue for that. And like, how you work your way through that, whether you should be with someone or shouldn't be with someone, and the kind of things you have to face together. I really like the sense of humour in it as well. Like, I think it really balances this kind of terrifying existentialism with some good old-fashioned bad behaviour and kind of debauched laughs about the various antics that Sarah and Niles get into. Like, I particularly like when they plant and then diffuse a bomb in a, in the wedding cake and kind of enacting a sort of, like, action movie James Bond fantasy. I thought that was, like, really funny. Yeah, there are more of those, like, slapstick elements. There's a good montage about um, a third of the way through the film when Sarah and Miles are sort of embracing that repetitive nature of the time loop and yeah they get up to all these um these crazy hijinks i mean i think it's again it's something that's quite prominent in the trailer so it's a good way to sell the film but yeah i think there's actually more of like a science fiction depth to to this it's kind of explored a little bit more than in some of the other time loop comedies that you you mentioned at the beginning yeah i think there is but it's not it doesn't overload the film it doesn't suddenly turn into Tenet or you know something like that <laughs> thank god uh... I think it's a really good balance I mean, they give you enough to, to help you suspend your disbelief because you're always going to have to suspend your disbelief they need to give you enough to, to, to keep you going on this journey and then kind of try and expose oh well this is this is the, our idea this is what we thought would be an interesting thing to to watch and I think Palm Springs does that well enough yeah it's more existential really it's it more, is. I think it's more interested in existential ideas about yeah, living in the same day over and over. Yeah, and I think some of the kind of questions that come up out of that is that if you really, if everything really is pointless, because I think it, it diverges uh, early on from the idea that there's a kind of spiritual way out of this. There, There is no point. They can do anything that they want and nothing's going to change where they are. So um, what do you do in that situation where there really just is no point? But I think that the, actually the best thing about the film is that there's just lots of great ideas, like in it about the, that about the time loop and about what, like I said, like what do you do when it's when it actually is all pointless? Like it's a really well trodden idea, um, and you kind of have to do this thing of explaining it and then finding new ideas and concepts within it. I think a wedding is a really good jumping off point because you have so many different people and there's a lot of different emotions flying about in a wedding. There's lots of room to play and explore. 
But then it just keeps going, and it just keeps finding new little things to add that that keep the um, the, the plot moving and, and evolving, and and that's great because you're you're never bored. You're you're not, and by the end, you're not really sure where it's going to go, yeah. and that's really quite unusual. I think that's what really makes it makes it brilliant. I think one of the elements they add is this character of Roy. Yes, yeah. we need to talk about Roy. Yeah, we need to talk about Roy, who's played by J.K. Simmons. Uh, it's someone they establish early on as someone who Niles also brought into the time loop. And he ended up in there with him, but he absolutely hates Niles and absolutely hates the time loop and blames Niles for it. Uh, so every now and again comes to try and kill or torture Niles in some way to take out his 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 anger on him and it's one it's, of the more darker elements <laughs> kind of, yeah it is kind of dark but they present it in a really funny way um i think it's a really funny concept i really like the idea um and it just it's one of those examples of they added a new element to an often like tired uh, format and also like jk simmons is just such a versatile actor you can sort of like stick a dial on the back of jk simmons and just decide how much comedy you want from him and turn him up or turn him down to wherever you want him and, and just see kind of like what works. He's I, the king of the cameo. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> if you ever need an and in there, like another an and actor, it's like someone just to come in and be absolutely brilliant in every scene. J.K. Simmons is your man. Absolutely. He's brilliant. And he's got a really good sense of humour as well. He's someone who, who deals with the comedy very, very well. And I don't, I think he's kind of been made famous for his role in Whiplash. Yes. Sort of this ultra macho, ultra aggressive Bully. Bully, yeah, exactly. Uh, but in this, yeah, he's kind of flexing his, his comedic muscles. But uh, my interpretation of Roy is that he's going through a midlife crisis. Yeah, and I mean, a midlife crisis is a bit like a time loop in yeah. a way because you sort of, you must wake up and just think, oh, wow, every day is the same. You know, what does my life mean? Uh, and yeah, I think that's, it's really good to introduce a character who's slightly older than the two main leads. So yeah. I guess Nas and Sarah are in their uh, mid-30s while Roy, you know, in his late 40s, early 50s. So, yeah, I thought that was a really good introduction and probably my favourite part of the film. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favourite parts. I think he's great. I think the location of Palm Springs is key as well, because it's sort of portrayed as this never-ending desert that's difficult to escape from. Yeah. Um, I think the characters are actually live there. So, some, so, obviously, there's this wedding that has been held in Palm Springs, but then there are some of the locals that are introduced, like in the bar or in the hotel. And I think these are people who just, again, sort of just exist. Uh, they seem to have vacuous lives, all building this idea of people living day-to-day as if it's all identical. Yeah. It is a paradise, but there is a lot of superficiality to it, and, I don't know, maybe a metaphor for relationships that seem healthy, but lack a connection. Yeah, I think so. Or they seem fun. It's a place where, you know, a wedding might be held because there's lots of beautiful nature and there's, landscape, lo- yeah. there's lots of lovely landscape and like it's kind of a, a free space where people can just be themselves and have fun and everything but then at the same time it's like you, you can't go on living in that environment forever or living in that environment will certainly like slowly drive you insane i i don't know i mean i i was kind of slightly scratching my head like why it's really called palm springs but maybe it's be- maybe it's because of that maybe it's because like it's exactly where these characters are at you're stuck in this place where even as 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 roy speculates at one point oh you know i wish this night could go on forever um before he gets into the time loop and perhaps that's what a lot of people feel like when they come to a location like palm springs especially for like a wedding 
But then after a while, <laughs> it's going to slowly kind of drive you insane. You're going to need like more meaning than that. In the it, yeah, in the middle of all of this, I I think I did really love those existential questions and I think the characters were like really funny but it's like was there any meaning and what were the what were they going to really drive towards with this and they they did it all in the kind of with the shape of a kind of science fiction comedy I think that's what is really the appeal about this yeah I think in retrospect though I'm not that convinced by Niles and Sarah's relationship by the end of the film I think Sarah seems to do a lot of the heavy lifting uh but yeah I'm sort of content with how it ends but I don't know I was a little bit unsatisfied. I really don't want to get into spoilers because I think this is a film that people should see. I think it always—it might be a good like couples film, to be honest. I think yeah. they would recognise some of the elements of their <laughs> own relationship, maybe with with Nas and Sarah. But yeah, I just feel at the end that maybe there's a bit of imbalance there. I'm not sure. I believed in their relationship, and I was kind of rooting for them. I think she goes on her own journey of kind of like trying to work out what she needs and what she doesn't need because actually she realises that that is as insane as it seems like they do have a connection and she, he does make her happy whether or not you know I'll leave whether or not that that can actually survive the situation mm. that they're in um, but I think that the moments when they were in love I, I believed in I don't think she does need him but maybe I don't know if anyone needs anyone. I mean, this is a film that exists. Well, I mean, you know, I think this is a film that exists. Oh, that's bleak. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, when you get right down to it, I think there's a, definitely a sense in the movie of, of that it's existing in a slightly unfeeling universe. It's, it's different to Groundhog Day in that there's no, you know, redemption won't save you. They exist in a, in, a, in, a, in a world which is, I think, a lot more fitting with the mood of today than the mood of perhaps when Groundhog Day was originally made, where it's like, you know, we're all a bit more desensitised now. I, th- I think people maybe are a bit more open to the, the, the kind of nihilism of the universe. And I think that they exist in that, but they... I forgot what I was going to say. I've just gone to a dark place. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm still stuck on redemption won't save you. I think <laughs> I think that's the second bleak thing you've said in a, like in a number of minutes. Well, what we're you mean is like the, we're ending this on such a dark you, but note. You, but you make, but you, you make, you make your own, you make your own meaning. You make your own. Yeah. You have, you have to, you have to make your own happiness. There's no magic spell. Like you have to find your own perfect moment, and you can, you can find that perfect moment. You don't need some some piece of magic to come in. That's the magic. That's what I'm saying. That, yeah. that's, that sounds better. That's what sounds more hopeful. And I think that's what their relationship is. Them finding the magic in that emptiness. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I completely agree, I think. And I think that's why, even though there are maybe like problems with their relationship, and yeah, I, I am slightly concerned about, you know, who, um, who does more within that. By the, by the end, I just, I just felt like a little bit more... I felt warmer inside than I did when, when the film started. Yeah, Ricky Gervais once said that he's always trying to kind of ride that line as close between comedy and tragedy as possible. That to him, that's the best form of comedy. And I think that Palm Springs really encapsulates that. I think you have this quite silly sense of humour that's running through the, the deep darkness about the pointlessness and pain of it all. And it's matched with this unconventional romance and a kind of rumination on love it just all combines so well into something really funny and touching and engrossing. And I, I really, really loved it. I think it's the kind of film you could show to a lot of different people and they'd all get something out of that. I, you know, I think it was, this was a really surprisingly 
great film. Yeah, it's a really complete film. It's a really good script. It's really funny. It's really sharp. And the darker moments are really well played too. Uh, it's perfect casting. Andy Samberg and Christine Milioti. I couldn't imagine two better leads for this role. Um, yeah, overall, it was just a really, really good watch. Um, yeah, maybe in retrospect, I had certain problems with with their relationship, but for me, that didn't hinder the enjoyment at all. And yeah, I think it's a film that's accessible to a lot of different audiences. I can't keep waking up in here. Everything that we are doing is meaningless. I hope it's not all meaningless. At least you have each other. Nothing worse than going through this shit alone. It's gonna be a beautiful wedding. And if you did like this, you should watch... Well, it's obvious, isn't it? We've mentioned it a few times in our review, and Palm Springs owes a lot to 1993's Groundhog Day. There are extremely subtle references throughout, just so the filmmakers don't completely disregard what must have been one of their inspirations. This isn't saying that Palm Springs is derivative of Groundhog Day, because without revealing the end of either, there are different ways each film ends to create enough of a division. There's also the setting, tone, and even the character's generation that make it markedly different. Groundhog Day stars Bill Murray as Phil, who's a misanthropic TV weatherman who's rude, obnoxious, and self-centred. He teams up with a new producer in Andy McDowell's Rita, and they head to Poxapony for the annual February 2nd celebrations. Phil and Rita get grounded due to a snowstorm and stay the night in the town, only for Phil to wake up and discover it's February 2nd again and again and again. Much like for Niles and Sarah in Palm Springs, death, suicide or sleep just takes Phil back to the same room, in that same hotel, in the same town, on the same day. Okay, now tell me why you're too sick to work and it better be good. Rita, I'm reliving the same day over and over. Groundhog Day, today. Okay, I'm waiting for the punchline. No, really, this is the third time. It's like yesterday never happened. I am racking my brain, but I can't even begin to imagine why you'd make up something like this. I'm not making it up. I am asking you for help. Okay, what do you want me to do? I don't know. You're a producer. Come up with something. You want my advice? I think you should get your head examined if you expect me to believe a stupid story like that, Phil. Phil? Like the groundhog, Phil? Yeah, like the groundhog, Phil. <laughs> Look up for your shadow there, pal. <laughs> Morons, your bus is leaving. Phil and Niles have similar views after spending what must be years within the same day. After a certain point, they embrace the situation and try to find ways to amuse themselves in the repetitiveness of daily life. However, Palm Springs ups the ante by introducing multiple characters into this mundane universe. Phil is alone, but Niles is joined by Sarah and Roy, although, as discussed, the trio's relationship isn't always harmonious. In fact, this is why some audiences might respond to Palm Springs a bit better than Groundhog Day. Having three people go through this experience gives the film conflict amongst its characters and alternative concepts about what to do with your existence once stuck in this time loop. Groundhog Day gets the best out of Bill Murray and creates one of his most iconic roles. He really is at his best here, especially in his delivery of the more sardonic lines. Palm Springs perhaps goes further and has a few more edgier and darker moments, but both films ultimately push the boundaries of what could happen to characters when they're stuck in this loop and create some excellent comedic moments, both slapstick and ironic. There's a hard-to-define magic about Groundhog Day. It's become a universally loved film, and the fact that the phrase Groundhog Day has entered the modern lexicon is part of its legacy. 
As Lawrence mentioned, maybe we live in a less idealistic world and Groundhog Day's notion about the power of love releasing people from the worst of themselves is too shallow, but it still remains one of the most celebrated films within the class of rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> I think when we were planning this, I was trying to think of a way to mention Groundhog Day the least because it seems so obvious, but then I think you said something to me about why are we trying to do that? Why are we trying to not use Groundhog Day? Uh, there's no point avoiding it. I mean, it's uh, it's a, and it's a wonderful, wonderful film. I absolutely adore it. So you know, why shouldn't we talk about it? I mean, it is such an obvious inspiration, and you can't really get away with making a film about a time loop without mentioning Groundhog Day. Yeah. I mean, I thought at even one point they were going to say that phrase Groundhog yeah, yeah, Day. Yeah, yeah. As I said, there's a couple of subtle references to to the film, so so they don't have to. I think there's so much in Groundhog Day. There's a real completeness to the journey that Phil goes on. Like, he's initially a very unpleasant, very selfish man. And he's played wonderfully by Bill Murray, who is just, as you said, the height of his powers here. He's really funny, really sarcastic, really uh, idiosyncratic. There's there's nothing quite like a Bill Murray uh, performance. Uh, whoever he's working under, you know, or working with. But then he grows into someone, yeah, that is at first quite hedonistic and making the most out of it after the initial shock. And then he initially tries to be even more selfish. And then the kind of depression that sets in. And then he starts to see other things and starts to realise different things about life. And then he sort of begins to change as well. And it's just handled so perfectly throughout. Yeah, there's there's like a classic Hollywood sheen to it. I don't know if that makes sense to you. To me, whenever I watch the film, it, it kind of feels like, oh, this is Frank Capra-esque, which is a bit weird because Frank Capra was like a director who did It's a Wonderful Life or Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And there's a magic about those films that yeah. that Groundhog Day has Maybe as well. The- Although in those films, the protagonists are often good people. And obviously Bill Murray, as Phil, is <laughs> is so narcissistic that he does learn the uh, the errors of his ways. Yeah, but perhaps it's the fact that it's set in a small town that makes it feel like one of those old movies. And the like slight wackiness of some of the characters, and yet the pure kind of romance at the centre of it. Ultimately it's a bit of a fable, because Phil learns moral lessons throughout it. Yeah, and I like that about it. You know, that makes it really, really sweet, as well as being like, yeah. quite funny and quite romantic. And there's loads of little bits that just become so unforgettable in it. Like Ned Ryerson, this guy that he bumps into that, that he used to go to high school with that tried to sell him insurance, is so brilliantly annoying, so brilliantly like harmless, but powerfully like obnoxious. And it's and it's quite fun to watch him kind of turn the screw on Phil without like him really realising it and whenever I see that actor and other things I always think of Ned Ryerson like it's one of these great like really standout moments for me yeah probably the funniest part of the film as well the development of those two after obviously Phil stuck in Groundhog Day for years and years and years (laughs) and yeah the extremes to which he goes to with with Ned whether that's you know being really really horrible to him or uh, ultimately being really kind to him yeah Ned I would love to stand here and talk with you but I'm not going to <laughs> see you. Hey, that's all right. I'll walk with you. You know, whenever I see an opportunity now, I charge it like a bull. Ned the bull, that's me now. Tell me, have you ever heard of single premium life? Because I think that really could be the ticket for you. Oh, God. It is so good to see you. Uh, what are you doing for dinner? Uh, something else. It's been great seeing you, Needlehead. Take care. <laughs> 
Watch out for that first step, it's a doozy. <laughs> I always remember as well, like there's this lovely moment kind of like towards the end, which is, he's, I think the first time you watch it you, it, you might not remember it, but on subsequent viewings, it comes before Phil's redemption where he meets this homeless guy who he sort of decides to just kind of buy a meal for. At first he ignores him when he's he's really, you know, his original self, but then he's, he's the first person that he tries to help. And then he starts to find that he keeps dying at the end of the day. And no matter what he does. No matter what he does, he, he keeps dying. And it starts to really bother Phil. And it is quite like a dark and kind of a serious moment where Phil, for the first time, is like trying to think of someone else. And it, it is a moment that, like I say, I mean, people miss. But it's a moment I always really liked about the film because it is tonally quite different and also isn't just like, oh, Phil's first thing. He did something good and he felt good about himself. Almost the, the beginning of his redemption was him actually thinking a few kind of larger things about life. You, you know, like, I'm not all powerful. I'm not the most important person in the world. You can interpret what he takes from that lesson as, like, lots of different things. Maybe he feels like, I have a duty to help people or that life's too short. Or perhaps something else, that there's something, like, bigger at work here and he learns to kind of respect something. I'm not sure, but it's a really nice, kind of interesting moment. Something I always liked about it. You too can become a great ice sculptor. That's <laughs> Maybe that's one of the takeaways from the film, which which Phil does after his he does. Years and There's years. that too, as well as becoming a good human being. But I think what you said there at the beginning, it does deserve subsequent viewings, and ultimately, it's a film about the same day. Yeah, and the fact that people keep going back to watch it, there's there's a beautiful irony to that. <laughs> yeah, there is, isn't there? But it's funny, really. But yeah, but I could watch Groundhog Day over and over and over again. I was just going to say that Groundhog Day has had a, an interesting life because it's one of these films that's been analysed and it was one of these first things that I was aware of had a philosophical interpretations of it. There was like a, a book on like a Buddhist interpretation of uh, Groundhog Day. And it's interesting that actually this a relatively easygoing, quite broad romantic film has this legacy and so many different people like interpreting it in, in these different ways. I think that shows its strength as well. Well, I think that's really interesting because Harold Ramis, who's the director, and he was a long-time collaborator with Bill Murray, obviously, because of, of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Harold Ramis wanted to make something more romantic. Bill Murray wanted to make something more philosophical. And ultimately, Bill Murray really hated the film when he saw it. Oh, because, really? Yeah, because he, he said it wasn't philosophical enough. It didn't push those ideas further. And ultimately, him and him and Remus fell out, and they never worked together again. Oh, that's a shame. But the thing is, they both got what they wanted because it is a wonderful. It's a perfect fusion. Yeah, it's a perfect fusion. It's a wonderfully romantic film. A very wonderfully romantic film. But then at the same time, it does have a lot of depth, and there are lots of interesting things going in on it. You know, it is a film that, even though that the time loop thing has kept going, I think it's a film that still works even today, and you can still go back to it and, and see all the things about it that work really, really well. And go back again, and go back again, <laughs> and, and go again. back again, and again, and again. I was in the Virgin Islands once. I met a girl. We ate lobster, drank pina coladas. At sunset, we made love like sea otters. <sighs> that was a pretty good day. Why couldn't I get that day? And over. You know, some guys would look at this glass and they would say, you know, that glass is half empty. 
other guys that say, that glass is half full. I think you as a glass is half empty kind of guy, am I right? What would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered? That about sums it up for me. And if you didn't like this, I'd recommend you go and watch Edge of Tomorrow from 2014. Romance? Blair. Existentialism? Boring. Tom Cruise fighting aliens in a mech suit? Woof. Okay, so <laughs> in the near future, deadly aliens known as Mimics invade Earth and begin to take it over one country at a time. On the eve of the final battle to destroy the invading horde, Major William Cage, played by Tom Cruise, a cowardly officer exclusively involved in PR, pisses off the wrong general and finds himself on the front line. During the battle, he inadvertently gains the Mimic's secret power. When he dies, his day starts all over again, enabling him to try the battle all over again too. After finding uber-soldier Rita Vratsky, played by Emily Blunt, has previously gone through this herself in another battle before losing the power, she agrees to train him a bit more on every loop, making him into a real soldier that might just have a chance to end the war. First time you died, what happened? You killed a Mimic? Yes. Describe it. Um different. It's a bigger, bluish. And you got covered in its blood. As a matter of fact, I did. They know we're coming on the beach tomorrow. It's a slaughter, isn't it? How do you know this? Could you just wait? Wait, wait. But would you please just explain to me what the hell is happening? What happened to you happened to me. I had it. I lost it. That's great. There's a cure. How do I get rid of this? First, I need your help. Uh, with what exactly? Winning the war. Let's go. Come on. A time loop is ripe for reinvention, and that's what they're doing here, splicing it with the action war genre to create a solid sci-fi thriller. Maybe the idea of romance, the idea of finding a meaning of life, seems too heavy or too saccharine to you. Well, in Edge of Tomorrow, there's no time to consider the great meaningless of existence when the human race very much hangs in the balance. Cage very much has a meaning and a mission with which to use his newfound powers. His character arc is him conquering his cowardice and selfishness and learning to fight, to be willing to give everything for the greater good. Although the battlefield isn't realistic, the concept of the soldier, how you forge one, and what you need to be one is present here. It's a really good arc, and effectively performed by the often ridiculed, always reliable, and in my book, brilliant Tom Cruise. He's matched by the equally talented and watchable Emily Blunt, who portrays a brutalised and broken Vratsky on her own journey to maybe feel something beyond what the life of a soldier has given her. She does this with her characteristic skill, range, and nuance. The only weak point of the film might be the clunky romance between the two, a friendship would have sufficed here. But the real standout of the film is the action. The soldiers in the near future wear robotic battle armour with oversized weaponry that increases their strength, their speed and their agility. Normally such items look plastic and silly in movies, but they're designed and utilised excellently here, supercharging the soldiers without taking away their humanity and still making them feel like actual soldiers. They fight now with brutality and grace that's exciting and unique, heightening traditional battlefield action without it ever becoming so over the top that it loses the human element. 
The mimics themselves too are great, unsettling killing machines that move like snakes or octopi, but appear almost as computer glitches, which makes sense as their manipulation of time makes them not quite of this reality. Edge of Tomorrow falls sometimes into familiar moments that you might see in time loop Groundhog Day-like films, like the connection that the protagonist starts to form with people they see every day, falling into a bit of despair, etc, etc. But these moments don't go on as much because of this driving force in the plot, and instead wants to focus more on the impressive battle scenes and training sequences, which are great. There's still enough human moments, though, to keep it from falling into just noise. Love, life, why we're all here, these are noble things to muse on, but if you'd rather see the way that time loops can be used in genre films, if you're more interested in the progression of a soldier, or maybe you'd just rather see the groundhog, sprout tentacles, and Bill Murray fire a grenade launcher at it, then Edge of Tomorrow is worth your time. Loop. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> really, really well put. I don't have too much to add because I have seen Age of Tomorrow or is it Live, Die, Repeat or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Oh my God. Like, you know, so many people sort of call them interchangeably. I, I'd consider this kind of a tangent, but it is one of the weirdest bits of marketing I've ever seen. They made these posters that were in vogue at the time, which, well, actually I still see them about, where it's like big letters as the poster and then kind of an image coming out of it. Or a kind of image in the middle of it, you know, rather than having a title there, it's more dynamic to have this big lettering right there. But what happened is it was live, die, repeat, just became, I don't know, more catchy. I think people started calling it live, die, repeat instead of edge of tomorrow. I, I have no idea. Sometimes when I read the story, it makes it sound like it was intentional, but it definitely wasn't intentional. So loads of people call it different things, like whether it's edge of tomorrow or live, die, repeat, or even more confusingly, Live, die, repeat, edge of tomorrow. I, I don't know, but yeah, weird one that. Uh, yeah, that's pretty niche knowledge. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if uh, if people are still listening. We, um, <laughs> but let's take it back to the time. Our moment. listeners are very dedicated, very loyal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, well, not that loyal. If, <laughs> if we're going into like the history of certain titles and what was called what marketing and, and marketing, hey, fascinating, the sexiest part of cinema. <laughs> but yeah, no, I. I I think, to, to me, when I saw this, I thought, this is a good Tom Cruise vehicle. It's really entertaining. The action is good. And yeah, it's more high concept than other action films, but really forgettable for me. I just... Yeah, oh, really? I, I, not, your, not your bag? No. I don't know whether, because you've gone back and watched it, that you think there are some redeeming qualities or there is a good reason for people, perhaps if they saw it when it was released five or six years ago, whether it'd be worth worth going back to watch it yeah I, I, I do I mean I, I think yeah maybe it's not the best Tom Cruise film ever made but it's one of several action sci-fi that he made which are really like quite solid and watchable like I said I think the action really is I think you often see in like films like that old G.I. Joe film where people are kind of in super suits and they just look rubbish. They look just like computer-generated messes that after a few years look like it could be on like previous generation PlayStation or something but Edge of Tomorrow, they managed to design it just really, really well. The way they jump around and fight, especially Emily Blunt, she's got like this big oversized sword she uses to hack apart the, the mimics. Some of the moves look like they could be in, in a Japanese anime oh, or wow. something. But in this, they find a way for them to do these kind of over-the-top moves without making them look so completely ridiculous and I really like that like I really enjoyed the battle scenes a lot more second time through yeah like the the plot at, at times becomes a bit thin but 
I, I, th I think you forget about it because I think it, it works really well. And again, this isn't exactly a conventional war film, but I did start to notice that they gave a bit more time to the personalities of some of the other soldiers. And I did just get this sense of you know, this person that at first didn't want to give anything and then ended up saying, oh, I, I'm willing to give everything for this and keep on fighting. And that's really the noble idea of a soldier. And I think that is present in there. Yeah, um, maybe I, not too progressive. I'm not sure if that's the idea of... Uh, yeah, I mean, you can, you can look at it under different veins. But I don't, I don't, I don't, think, that's a, yeah, I don't think that's a theme or, or an intention of the film. I quite like the idea that Tom Cruise starts out a bit cowardly and he's <laughs> kind of this flimsy PR guy because we're so used to Tom Cruise starting out as the hero of every film and I don't think his characters always go through too much development. I mean, if you think of Ethan Hunt, he's just there as, as someone that fights and thinks his way out of certain situations and at least with Veg of Tomorrow you've got him starting from one position and then a bit like Phil in Groundhog Day he starts off as someone who's quite self-centred and turns into someone who's more compassionate and benevolent. Yeah that's true here I, I think that actually watching it this time round I did notice how almost uncomfortable Tom Cruise did look playing the coward even when, <laughs> you know even in a, like a few good men where he, i think you could label him at the beginning of being kind of a coward he's also still a super genius lawyer but in this he he is just a complete waste of space on the battlefield and, and he is really cowardly and underhanded but yeah he doesn't look quite at home there's something about, he doesn't look quite right in doing this you know, I've, like I say, I think one of the great misnomers about films is this ridicule that Tom Cruise gets, because I think he's brilliant. There's so many good films that he's got under his belt, but people kind of see him as a bit of a joke, and, and that's fair. I, I mean, there, there are reasons for that, that's fair enough. Like, he's the archetypal movie star in, in so many different ways, but there's a really good, really dedicated, not just actor but also a movie producer under there that really wants to create the best biggest films that he can and has been doing so for several decades now and I think that's really amazing. Yeah I mean maybe it's a podcast for another time talking yeah. about <laughs> Tom Cruise's performances but yeah he wants to entertain and he wants to make it as authentic as possible this is why he does a lot of his own stunts and goes to depths that other actors won't go to on films like standing on tall buildings or you know hanging off airplanes, hanging off airplanes or stuff. helicopters yeah. but I guess he needs a bit of sticking up for because he did have a, a big rant uh, I mean people should have probably heard about this he had a big rant on the latest Mission Impossible film because two of the crew weren't social distancing and yeah yeah he completely yeah lost, lost his it. lost his shit I, I, yeah, I, I hate to hear st stuff like that because I think it's a bad worky environment but at the same time I do understand the kind of the pressure he's in and why he wants people to be following the guidelines as best as possible. It's a really difficult thing to balance with those kind of things, but I, I like Edge of Tomorrow. If you're looking for comparisons and stuff, I think this is one of the stronger time loop films that have come out. And it is a different kind of genre, so if, if you're looking for something that's like a, a little bit of a different flavour, but with this idea in it, then this is worth it. I can't do this. I'm not a soldier. You're a weapon. Every time you die, you get smarter. And you're gonna make sure that we can win. This is as far as you ever make it. Why does it matter what happens to me? I wish I didn't know you, but I do. They know we're coming!
you know, you, but you talking about all these different things. I mean, with Phil Connors becoming a better person and Major Cage becoming a, a great name, by the way, Major Cage. Major Cage, great name, so satisfying. So, <laughs> it's a really like badass name for someone that's quite a cowardly at the beginning. Major Cage becoming a better soldier and the journey that Niles and Sarah also go on is Time Loop really all about the character arc? Is that just the defining characteristic of these films? Is it that all about you, you have to take someone on a big personal inward journey even though their outside world is so completely out of flux? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, otherwise, if, if the characters didn't learn anything about the universe that they're stuck in, then that would be really boring. If they just sort of embraced their apathy and just didn't change, then, yeah, that would be dull. There would be no point in making the film. Well, then again, am I just describing all films? Are all films basically supposed to have some kind of character development? I wasn't going to say, but yeah. uh, (laughs) To bring it back to Palm Springs is that the great thing is, is because you've got three characters who are in this universe and stuck in this time loop, you get different ideas and you get different theories about why they're there and they don't all go on the same path. They all have their different one and that's why I think it's a really good update on this time of genre, maybe compared to Groundhog Day and An Age of Tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and if you missed any of that, just like a time loop, you can just press the back button and then listen to this all over again if you want to. Help with our view numbers. Yeah, so uh, they can hear you talk about uh, Edge of Tomorrow or Live Die Repeat or <laughs> the fascinating history of that all over again. They'll be thrilled. Oh, it would be wonderful. A time loop where you just have to listen to me talking about the marketing in movies over and over. Little niche subjects. Certainly your idea of heaven. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe tune in next week for more marketing history. <laughs> we'll turn it into our own like mini podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.